0: when we chant the sharing of the blessings, and we read this line, the Sangha is my supreme support. I want to tell you a story about how I understand and came to understand the support of the Sangha. I mentioned that after a number of years of practicing here in the West, I went to Asia to a monastery in Rangoon for for three reasons. One was I wanted to practice just like this until I didn't want to practice anymore. I wanted to live in a Buddhist country to see what the teachings of the Buddha would do to a whole society. And I wanted to ordain in the monastic sangha to live the life of renunciate. So I went to a monastery uh, that I knew the only, the only uh, Buddhist teacher I knew in Asia was the head of the monastery, Saito Upandita. So I went there. And in this particular monastery, as I mentioned, uh, wake up is at 3, but breakfast is at 5.30. So you have some time to practice. And every morning, wake up and would we'll do some practice until close to the time of breakfast and near the time when breakfast would be served. And for monks, breakfast can be served when they can see the lines on the palm of their hand by the light of the day. So the time changes throughout the year. So in this particular monastery, Just at the end of the last sitting before breakfast, I would come out of my room or out of the meditation hall, and I would stand alongside the pathway leading to the uh, dining room near my teacher's cottage, and I would wait for the call from the dining room. And in that last sitting before breakfast, all of the, the people who were practicing, at the center would chant the refuges and precepts in a little bit of metta. So we'd be standing in the dawn light, and uh, the the women in the meditation hall up the hill by the dining room, and this meditation hall could hold fifteen to eighteen hundred, so they would start chanting, and they would chant the refuges and the precepts. Now, when Burmese women chant the Refugees and Precepts, they are very devout and they are very enthusiastic and they have a tremendous amount of faith. So it is loud. And it's just, well, when you've got 12, 15, 1800 women chanting with the sincerity of their heart the Refugees and Precepts, it is hair-racing. <laughs> it's really inspiring. And after they had started their chant, and it's about a five-minute chant or so, then the women in another meditation hall halfway down the hill. And this was a two-story meditation hall, five hundred on each floor. So one floor would start chanting, and they're thirty seconds behind the first. And the second floor would start chanting, and they'd be thirty seconds behind the second. And now we got, you know, a couple thousand or more women chanting refugees and precepts. Then, a little further down the hill there was a men's a Burmese men's meditation hall, which would hold about 1,200. This is a big monastery. And so you get you know somewhere between 8, 1200 men, they also started chanting. And then down the hill beyond where I was standing was another meditation hall for another thousand. So sometimes you'd have two, three, four, five thousand people practicing there, chanting. And it was the most inspiring and very uh, uplifting uh, experience. And it really made me feel and recognize that the, the, the value of the refuges and the precepts to them was no different than it was for me or that I felt totally included, even though I didn't speak their language, and I didn't know their cultural customs, we had the same alignment of heart and mind in taking the Refugees and Precepts. So it was a very comforting, uh, inclusive, communal uh, experience. So it was a great way to... Um, just wake up to the day. Now in this particular monastery, it was started, as I mentioned, by Mahasi Sayadaw, who was very revered in the last century in Burma. A great scholar, and a great meditation master, and a great teacher. So after he passed away, they started, an annu- they started having an annual memorial festival, which takes place on the second weekend of December. And then for three or four days, they would just ha- invite all of the mm, senior, the elder uh, monks teaching monks of that tradition from all throughout Burma to come to Rangu, and the elder nuns from, that were teaching from throughout Burma to come to this monastery in Rangu. So they would all show up, uh, four or five hundred monks and a couple hundred nuns, with the retinue each. And this would swell the, the population of the monastery by another few thousand. And then during this time, a lot of people from Rangoon who had practiced in the monastery would come and visit and offer the dana meals every day. So you'd, five, you know, five, six, eight, 10,000 people would be there. And in the morning, after done chanting, up at the dining hall, They have this large log suspended on ropes, and they swing it in such a way that it hits another log which has been hollowed out that's hanging up. And so it makes this interesting sound that carries for a long, long distance. But it's not a clanging bell or anything, it's just a thump, thump. And when they thump, 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 then we can go to breakfast. Now, when monks gather together in a group, they always do things according to seniority. Meaning, the person who's been a monk the longest goes first. So, in order to establish the line going into the dining hall, one of the monks who helped run the meditation center, a junior monk, would, would stand out in the, the, the roadway, the pathway, and would kind of say in a very loud voice, 65 wasa. That means any monk who has been a monk and has undertaken 65 three-month range retreats. That means they're at least 85 years old, because you, you have to be 20 before you can ordain. 65 wasa, any monk, he would say that, and you'd see one old monk. With a cane, come out of the shadows and start walking up the hill. You know, sixty-four wasa. Maybe another one. Sixty-three wasa. You know, and it would go like this. And in the elder years, and not not so many each year, but one one or two. You know, then when you get down to forty wasa, oh, you only got to be sixty years old. And oh, they'd be five or ten at a time going out, sixty wasa, and they'd be go, walking out into the hall, getting in the line, walking up the hill. And they get down to you know twenty wasa, meaning someone was forty years old. And there are some teachers, you know, some were elder enough to be teachers, or good enough to be teachers, and they would step out. Uh, at this particular ceremony uh, festival, they didn't allow Burmese monks less than ten wasa to come. They just didn't have the room. But being a foreigner, they let the foreigners stay throughout the festival. So when they would get down to Tuwasa, <laughs> then I could get in the line. <laughs> and while the monks were getting in their line, the nuns were getting in their line and going into another dining room, because they ate in a different dining room. The monks would go first, then the laymen. The nuns go to their dining room and then the lay women. So, when I would step out into the line, I, I would be the last one in the line, and I would look ahead of me, and I would see this long line of monks walking up the hill, hundreds of so yards, and kind of turning the corner. Sometimes it's very misty, especially in December, misty, turning around the corner, going around the meditation hall to the dining room out back, and I would think. Somewhere at the head of that line is the Buddha. Because the Buddha said, did his practice, realized the truth, and turned to those next to him and said, You know, see it, if, if you can see it like this, see if you can see it like this. And they did, and they re- realized the truth, and they told someone, and they told someone, and they told someone, and that uh, the Dharma. Has been handed down for 2,600 years like that, down to from the Buddha, a long lineage of monks, to Mahasi Sayadaw. And Mahasi Sayadaw taught Sayadaw Upandita. And Sayadaw Upandita taught me. And I used to think I'm the last one in the line. But that's not true, because now I've taught you. And so when I take refuge in the Sangha, I take refuge in that long line of monks from the Buddha down to Saito Upandita. And I also take refuge in everyone from Saito Upandita and myself and others who practice with Saito Upandita long into the future. There are unborn generations of humans that are going to want to hear these teachings. They'll be relying on us. They'll be taking refuge in our hearing the Dhamma, practicing the Dhamma, realizing the Dhamma, and sharing the Dhamma. And if perchance we don't happen to finish the job in this lifetime and we're reborn as a human being in the future, would you like to have the teachings available to you then? Well, in order to ensure that we have the authentic teachings and those who realize the teachings, it's up to us to see that we have it available in the future. Because beings will be suffering then, too. And they'll want to know the path and the practice. So when we say, the Sangha is my supreme support. Without the Sangha who practice and realize the teaching, we wouldn't be here. And without our practice, there won't be others in the future who will be here.